Hey there, welcome to this edition of The Shaleen Show. Today we are going to continue our conversation about mindset. And specifically, I have one of my favorite leaders today to share with you his perspective on how do you create a mindset shift. Michael Hyatt has been on the show before. He is someone who I think of as a business mentor, a family mentor. He's a father of five girls. He has 10 grandchildren. He's been married for 44 years. And he's just like one of those really down-to-earth, level-headed, honest kind of guys. He also happens to be a New York Times and Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling author. He's written books called Living Forward, Your Best Year Ever, Free to Focus, and quite a few others. He's co-authored this second book that we're going to talk a little bit about today with his daughter, Megan, who happens to now be the CEO of his company. So there's like, there's so many things to unpack here in two different stages, two different seasons of their lives, which I think is really useful to someone who's thinking about like, how do I shift my mindset? And you're looking at someone who's like in a different stage of their life. You know what I mean? And you're like, yeah, that's easy for you to say. Well, Michael and Megan, because they are in such different stages, have come together to write this incredible book and share their strategies today. And Michael is here today to share the strategies that they talk about in the book. And he's turned perhaps what many would have considered like the worst year of his life into, again, one of the best years of his life. We're going to talk about how you can apply some of these strategies in the important areas of your life to examine what it is you're saying and how it is it isn't serving you. And then what do you do about it? So without further ado, Michael Hyatt. Michael, we talk about mindset a lot on The Shaleen Show. It's one of those things that you hear people talk about mantras and you hear these different things that you can do to practice changing your mindset. And I think people realize they need to change their mindset. But I'd love to know a little bit more about the science of mindset, because I think if we understand how the brain works, it might help us to embrace some of the practices you talk about in your new book. Well, I know this is a lot of, you've done a lot of work around this same topic because I listened to your podcast and I've heard you talk about this. But one of the things that we got into was was realizing that if you're not happy with the results you're getting, for a lot of us, particularly people that are entrepreneurs or leaders, they mm-hmm. basically have an action bias and they think, okay, I'm going to double down on the action. I'm mm-hmm. going to work more. I'm going to work mm-hmm. faster. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to brute force and just create different results. But that ultimately becomes exhausting and it becomes, you know, you you have uh, less of an impact over time because all the little fr- hanging fruit is picked. So if you really want to create extraordinary results, you got to get to the thinking because it's the thinking or the stories that we're telling ourselves that that creates what's possible. But here's how our brain works. Our brain basically is designed to protect us. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit like when the president goes out and he takes the secret service and they've got their sunglasses on, the little microphone in their, you know, their sleeve, and and they're constantly scanning the crowd, looking for patterns, trying to protect the president. And if they see anything that's out of the ordinary, that poses a threat, then they go into action. And that's how our brains yeah. work. Our brains are there to serve us. They're there to help us, but they also keep us confined into in these stories that that keep us safe. And so, for example, back in the 90s, I told you that mm-hmm. I started a publishing company with a business partner. Uh, it was actually back in the late 80s, and that business ran for about five years. And then it essentially 
closed. We were so bad, we couldn't even go bankrupt because we'd pledged all of our assets. Was the business bad or was the partnership bad? The partnership was great. Oh. But we got into a distribution relationship with a big book distributor, and they had promised us that they could absolutely blow out our sales. We had three full-time salespeople. They had 12. And they said, you know, we could likely three or four X your your sales. And we said, great, that's awesome. But we were doing about $400,000 a month in sales, which at the time seemed like a lot. And the first month we were in that partnership, they delivered to us $40,000 worth of sales. So that was catastrophic for us in terms of our cash flow because, you know, we had people to pay and printers to pay and all the rest. So we got on the phone with the CEO. He says, gee, I'm sorry, but don't worry. Once our team gets up to speed, we'll deliver the results and you'll start to see us exceed what you guys were able to do on your own. But in the meantime, we know that this has put you in a cash crunch. So we'll give you a sales advance in the form of a loan so that you can meet your expenses. Okay. Okay. So the next month, they do $60,000. Again, we were doing $400,000. They never got above $80,000 a month in nine months. And then their parent company decided they were going to clean up the balance sheet. So we get a call one day from the parent company CFO and he says, oh yeah, we're actually about to sell this company that you're in a relationship with and we're trying to clean up the balance sheet. So you owe us $1.2 million. You've got 30 days to pay that or we're going to shut you down. And they did shut us down and all of our assets were, were pledged to them. Wow. Wow. So again, it was humiliating. I was enormously embarrassed. We had people from our church bringing to us groceries and about two years later, I had a important mentor I was telling some of these stories to, and he said, you know, you're not very good with money, are you? Now, Shalina didn't occur to me that that was his story based mm. on a little bit of evidence. I took it as the truth. Mm. And that's the problem with these stories is we oftentimes think that they are the truth. But the way that our brains work, they're constantly seeking meaning. And the reason they want meaning is so that they can protect us. So they're always asking, what does this mean and what's next? What does this mean Mm -hmm. and what's next? And they create these neural pathways in our brain. Again, they're habitual. They're designed to keep us safe. And so for years after that, I had this thing in my head that I thought was the truth that I wasn't very good with money. And I spent the next decade proving it. I made Mm. some really dumb financial mistakes. One of them that was over a million dollars. I literally had to write a check for it because I wasn't very good with money. I mean, why would I have done any, anything different? Because I'm, I'm not very good with money. And it wasn't until Mm -hmm. I began to interrogate the story, which is step two in the book to interrogate the story and say, is that really true? I mean, yes, I had a business that essentially went out of business and I've made a few dumb financial mistakes, but that's not, not the totality of my life. You know, what if I could adopt the, the mindset or a different story that said, I'm learning about money. I'm becoming better at managing money. I'm surrounding myself with people who know how to manage money. That changed everything. Just adopting a different story. So whenever we're getting results that we don't like, maybe we're, we're frustrated or we're not getting the business results we don't want, then it's time to to say, wait a second, is there a story that's behind this that I'm telling myself that's causing these results? That's the key. Identify the story. That's where you have to start. 
And then I guess question whether the story is true or not. Like I'm trying to think right now in terms of just any era of your life. I have a friend who is back on the dating scene and she often will say like, there's just like, there's no good guys out there, you know? So is that true? And how do we know like how to separate fact from fiction? Like how do we know that we should really look at something and go, well, wait a second. How do I know if this is true? Well, the first thing to do is to ask yourself the question, is that true or is that just a story that I'm telling myself about what's true? Because I reserve the truth for those objective, verifiable facts, much like a police report, whatever, or a financial statement. Those are the facts. But again, I can put those together in a story that either serves me or it doesn't serve me. Like when I first started speaking publicly, I thought I wanted to be a public speaker, but every time I spoke publicly, I absolutely hated it. And I hated it because my palms would sweat, my armpits would sweat so profusely that I would wear two t-shirts under my dress shirt, hoping that I wouldn't sweat through the dress shirt and and signal to people mm-hmm. that I was scared to death. Yeah. I'd have butterflies in my stomach, my voice would creak, and I would just give myself away. And I dreaded, I wanted to throw up, I hated stepping up on the stage because of adrenaline. And I said, and here's a story I was telling myself, this must be proof Mm. that God hasn't called me to be a public speaker. You know, I'm just not equipped. You know, those people like Shalene that can step up and look so comfortable. (laughs) They They have the thing, but I don't have it. And so then it wasn't until I started doing a little research about adrenaline, I said, wait a second. This adrenaline is actually a good thing because when adrenaline's coursing through my blood veins, I think better. I'm more focused. I'm able to, to, and this is where I can use my brain to serve me, trying to protect me. I can scan the audience and really be hyper alert to what's happening so I can connect with them when I'm speaking. And so then the story I began to tell myself was, this is just how my body prepares itself for peak performance. Hmm. And then I began to welcome those, those signs that adrenaline was in my veins. It was like my familiar friend. And then I started talking to other speakers and I realized pretty much everybody has that going on. Hmm. Hmm. And now I look forward to it. I step on the stage. It's a blast. I spoke earlier this week. Couldn't wait to get on stage because that wasn't debilitating me. What is the technique that you use though? I mean, so, I mean, cause you almost have to access your subconscious mind or your unconscious mind anyways, to recognize like, okay, first of all, I need to question whether or not this story that I'm telling myself is true. And then I have to challenge it, right? And I still don't believe, even though I'm challenging myself that I'm, I am good with money or I am a good public speaker or there are good guys out there, right? Like I know it's going to serve me to challenge this belief. I know that the, the negative belief isn't serving me. So I have to challenge it. Okay. So then what does it take for me to open myself up or the listener to open themselves up to create an opportunity to prove themselves wrong or to prove that negative belief wrong so they can kind of create an evidence file? Like, is there a technique that we can use? Yeah. One of them is, and I think this is the first step of the book, we have to identify the story. And I think just getting to the place where we say to ourselves, that thing that's going on in my head, that's just a story. It might be true-ish. It might not be true. We know up to 20% of our memories are false on average. Hmm. Up to 70% mm-hmm. of our memories are distorted in some significant way because we misremember what happened. And we have to be wow. open to the possibility. What was that percentage again? Can you give me that percentage again? Yeah, 20% false memories. 
Okay. Up to seventy percent distorted memories. Wow. So that that should give us a lot of humility. Like maybe I got the yeah. story wrong. Wow. And therefore it's worth interrogating the story. So becoming conscious of our thinking is critically important to think, okay, and, and we have this concept in the book, we talk about the narrator. And this is that voice inside of our head that jabbers nonstop that tells us what everything means in real time. We think it's the truth. Hmm. If the narrator tells us, for example, there are no good men out there, then guess what happens? And this is confirmation bias, and we talk about this in the second part of the book. Then we only seek the evidence that confirms that bias story. We literally won't even see other evidence. We don't notice other evidence. We only ascribe importance or value to evidence that confirms our story. So if your friend goes out on a date and it's a bad mm-hmm. date, that's just proof there's no good men left. So we got to listen to what the narrator's saying. And one of the best ways to do that, and Brooke Castillo has this concept too, where we got to listen to the sentences in our head. What's the narrator saying? And sometimes if we can just write that down, sometimes we'll look at what the narrator's saying and we'll go, well, that's dumb. You know, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. Other times we go, oh, wow. Yeah, that is something I say to myself a lot. Now, how can I re-engineer it so that I can reprogram my thinking? And that's literally what you're doing. You're trying to cut a new neural pathway. And it's difficult, but it's necessary. Is there a method that simplifies this process? Because I find that one of the things that really prevents people from moving forward, from taking action is like overthinking everything. So is there a daily practice or something that you would recommend that people do to help them like stop? Like, I don't want someone to get stuck in that cycle of like, is this true? Is this not true? And allow that overthinking to then become the obstacle. Well, the truth is, again, the narrator's there to serve us. Our thinking mm-hmm. there to serve us and keep us safe. And it mostly works. We so, think it's there to keep us safe. Like it, subconsciously, we think it's keeping us, or maybe we don't even realize it. Maybe we're not even conscious of it, but that's how the brain works. But it's funny how sometimes what the brain is doing to keep us safe is actually putting us at risk or making us play small. Totally. That last one, definitely. It's making us play small because if you move outside your comfort zone and you Mm -hmm. get into the discomfort zone where all the good stuff happens, that's scary because it might not work. It might go south. But what we're not suggesting is that people go off on a retreat and begin to question every story, deconstruct every story they've ever believed, because most of the stories work. They may not be true, but they're true enough that they get us through life. Mm -hmm. But when something isn't working, that's when we need to open ourselves to the possibility that maybe, just maybe, that's a story. So I'll give you an example. Back in the 2000s, I hired an executive coach. Her name was Eileen. And Eileen would fly into Nashville, where I live, once a month, meet with me for an entire day. And I think it was like 75%, felt like 75% psychotherapy and about 25% business coaching. And so (laughs) in in the middle of the recession, this was 2009, she comes in in August of 2009 and she sits down in my office. I'm the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers. She says to me, hey, how did last month turn out? And I said, not good, not good at all. She said, what? She said, what happened? I said, well, we missed the top line by about 10% and we lost money. And she said, well, when I was here last week, you were so confident that you were going to hit the budget and you had a good chance of exceeding it. So what happened? And I said, well, look, 
We're in the middle of an economic recession. Foot traffic to bookstores is down. Consumer confidence is down. We can measure that. We know that for a fact. So I just said, all we know is that traditional marketing is not working the way it used to. So I created this whole set of facts and I thought, well, that settles it. Now we'll go to the next topic. She sits back and she says, what was it about your leadership that led to these results? And it honestly offended me. I Mm. thought, you're suggesting it's my fault? I just told you what's Mm -hmm. happening. It's the economy. It's the publishing industry. And so I was visibly objecting to her conclusion. And she asked me again, what was it about your leadership? And clearly I wasn't getting it. And so she said, okay, let me approach it from this perspective. If you could go back 30 days and do something different in terms of your leadership, would you have done something different? And I said, yeah. She said, well, like what? I said, well, I would have met with the sales team every day for a stand-up meeting just to make sure that we were on track and pacing towards the target. She says, good. Mm -hmm. What else? I said, I would have gone on that call to Walmart because I feel like my presence there, they would have bought more stuff and it would have made an impact on, on the sales call. She said, what else? I gave her like three to five things. She sat back, she smiled. She said, so what you're telling me is it was about your leadership. I had created this story, Shalene, that the problem was out there. Hmm. Now, the good news was it absolved me of any responsibility because I was able to say, look, I tried hard, but put forth my best effort, but the outside world conspired against me. And that was the excuse that I was giving to Eileen and I was about to give to my board for why we missed July. But when I, I saw her point and accepted responsibility for the results, the bad news was it was my fault and I was to blame. The good news was I got the power back because now instead of ceding power to these external forces and I was just being acted upon, suddenly now I had the power. I'm not in total control, but I was in a whole lot more control than I thought. And the next month was completely different because I took a different approach to my leadership. About six months ago, after doing blood work, I found out that I was deficient in magnesium. My integrative doctor suggested that I increase my magnesium to help with my bone density because I was showing signs of osteopenia and osteoporosis runs in my family. And I'm like, okay, so then do I need a calcium supplement? They're like, no, you need a magnesium supplement and you need a super high quality one because there are seven different forms of magnesium that your body really needs to function at its highest. And a lot of the magnesium supplements that are on the market are just one strain. I'm like, I don't want to take seven additional supplements. So I found a company that makes a product called Magnesium Breakthrough that actually includes all seven forms of the magnesium. And I started taking it initially just for my bone density. But when I looked at my sleep score after I started taking Magnesium Breakthrough, I was like, well, this is the only thing I'm doing different. And my REM sleep just continues to get better and better. So why waste money on a magnesium supplement that only gives you one or two strains or isn't high quality? So if you want better sleep, better energy, help regulate your blood pressure, bone density, less irritability, and less muscle cramping, you definitely want to look at doing a high quality magnesium like magnesium breakthrough. They've created an exclusive offer for Shalene Show listeners. Can I give you a piece of advice? And I hope they're okay with this. I'm just going to say it. They offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. So here's what I would do. If you get a 90-day supply, 
you save 25%, which is huge. Plus, they have the special right now that if you use code Shaleen, they're going to give you that discount of 25% off. Plus, they send you a pair of blue light blocking glasses. And blocking blue light is also going to help your sleep. Listen, if you just want to get a bottle, you save 10% off with that code. But I'm just saying, why not save 25% off? Do a three-month supply. And if you don't love it, then take advantage of their money-back guarantee. But hello, I'm saying do the three-month supply and save yourself some money and get yourself a pair of glasses. And all of this, you'll need to use code Shaleen when you go to Meg, M-A-G, breakthrough.com forward slash Shaleen. Meg, breakthrough.com forward slash lean to get your special gift. In that particular scenario, I mean, you had the benefit of having someone who you've essentially paid, right, to question you, paid to help you see your blind spots in your own mindset. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have dug deeper and asked yourself if, in fact, that story was true or not. Can you give us an example, maybe in your own life, of something I don't know, just from a lifestyle perspective that you've had to look at it and go, okay, I need to examine the way I'm, I'm framing this or my mindset around this so that others who are listening can, you know, maybe don't have the benefit of someone who can speak to them in that way or yeah. ha- they haven't given anyone permission to do that. Like, how can we give ourselves permission to ask ourselves those questions? You know, we, we have an entire chapter in Mind Your Mindset, chapter nine, about many brains are better than one brain. And, you know, can certainly you, you may have to pay people to tell you the truth, but you can also create a culture inside of your family or inside of your company where you give people permission to call you out. So in my family, you know, we tend to be, you know, we're reading the same books, we're talking about the same things, and we're trying to apply it. So one of the things my youngest daughter, Marissa, who happens to be our marketing director at Full Focus, she will often say this phrase, and I'll illustrate it. She'll say, well, if you say so. So literally just today. I said to my wife, to Gail, I said, by the way, if my other daughter, this daughter Madeline's going to come over with her baby Nico, whom we adore, he's nine months old and comes over almost every day. If they come over, could they come over before five? Because I'm going to be finished about five and I'm going to be exhausted because I've got all these interviews. So I said, I'm going to be exhausted. Marissa, (laughs) who happened to be sitting in the room said, if you say so. (laughs) And I was like, oh, So, yeah, I'm still working on this stuff, too. But to have somebody that calls me out. That's so simple. That's just a simple phrase to remember to to give somebody in your family permission to say, if you say so. You've had a rough year. And I think about people when they have, like, really horrific things happen, how, you know, I'm a professional optimist. I can sometimes see the silver lining in things for other people. But maybe when you're in it, like, again, like this last year was a difficult one for you from a health perspective. How do you frame that in terms of your mindset? Well, this is also ties in with help from other people. But so I've always, at least for the last 20 years, I've been very health conscious. I have a nutritionist that works with me. I've got several doctors. I've got a trainer that I've worked with for over a decade now. And so, you know, I've taken care of my health. Yeah. But I had a high calcium score on my heart. I knew it was an issue. I suspected it was probably genetic. And in fact, one of my doctors told me that, but he said, I think we, we've got it under control. Well, then I'm out for my morning exercise routine. I'm out walking and I'm coming back. And I, long story short, I had a heart attack and it was mild. There wasn't any damage, but they took me to the hospital via ambulance. First time I've ever been in an ambulance. 
What were your symptoms? I think that'd be helpful for people to hear. So first of all, I was experiencing some vertigo. So I was just really dizzy. And that was weird, but I'd been experiencing it for about a month. In fact, I was hiking in the Andes Mountains in Peru six weeks before I had this heart attack. High altitude, like 8,000 to 11,000 feet. It's a miracle I didn't die there. But so I'm feeling this vertigo. I started feeling nauseous and I actually threw up. I was literally a quarter of a mile from my house. Wow. So I call Gail on the phone and I say, honey, I don't think I could walk home. Could you come pick me up? Kind of alarmed her, as you can imagine. She said, sure. So she comes and gets me, brings me home. And I'm thinking to myself, this can't be a heart attack. I mean, this has got to be something else, right? Yeah, because I, I don't associate any of what you've described right now with signs that you're having a heart attack. Well, actually, the nausea is a pretty typical symptom, right? Mm-hmm. But I didn't have the classic thing of chest pains. The vertigo, that could be pretty common too. Lack yeah. of oxygen flow, whatever. Sure. So we come home, I, I throw up again. And then, so we're kind of debating with ourselves and with each other whether we should call an ambulance. And so we call my son-in-law, who's a paramedic, and he says, yes, get him to the hospital and don't drive him, call an ambulance. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened, there was an ambulance one block from my house. They literally showed up, knocked on my door before Gail got off the phone. They come in, they said, yeah, your vitals are not good. We need to take you to the hospital now. So we went, they got me stabilized. I felt, by the way, amazing peace inside that ambulance. I just, I thought, you know, my preference is to live, but if I die, it's going to be okay. And I was just totally at peace. We got to the hospital. They ended up doing an angiogram on me the next day. They did a bunch of tests before that. And they said, you've got some significant blockage, buddy. And when I first got there, they said, you know, maybe it'll be a stent. We'll probably just release you. It's probably nothing. You're in great health. But then after they did the angiogram, they said, you're 90% blocked in the Widowmaker artery. Like you're that close from going down. So they scheduled bypass surgery. So I had the bypass surgery. And that was a whole thing unto itself. I I could never imagine. It's like a surreal experience. Well, then after I'm released from the hospital, so I was in the hospital about a week, and then they released me to cardiac rehab. Mm -hmm. This is where you begin exercising again, but you're being monitored. You're all wired up. There's like a team of nurses. There were eight of us in our class. We'd exercise. And I'm about to get to the story of how I'd created this story about it. So in the cardiac rehab, there's always an education portion that follows the exercise. And one of the nurses talks about stress management or nutrition or exercise or whatever. But in the very first session, eight of us sitting around this table, eight patients, the nurse says, what is your heart attack or your heart surgery? What does that mean to you? Very, Mm. very good question. Because Mm. all of us shared this common fact. We'd had a heart attack. All of us had had heart surgery. The first guy to speak is sitting directly across from me at the table. He tears up a little bit and he says, well, here's what it means for me. It means that this is the beginning of the end. Basically, my life is over. It's been a good run, but now it's going to be a decline till I eventually die. Mm-hmm. I was stunned. And I remembered I'd had a conversation when I was still in ICU with one of my doctors in Los Angeles. And he called me. He was in an airport, called me up on the phone, and he said, hey, I heard about your thing. And he said, I just want to talk to you about a moment. This is really an important conversation. I said, okay. So I'm listening to it intently. I had him on speakerphone. Gail was right there. 
He said, it's going to be very normal for you to second guess everything that's happened up until this point about your health. But he said, I've been working with you for a long time. I've got your blood work every three months. I know the way you take care of yourself, but you're still going to feel like you should have done something. You could have done something. He said, forget all that. That's all in the past. You can't make any of that change. But he said, here's how you need to be thinking about this. You've had a reboot. You have more blood flow to your brain than you've had in some time. You're going to be thinking Mm -hmm. sharper with more clarity than you've had in recent memory. And he said, your whole life is in front of you. And he said, this next season is going to be amazing. I can't wait to see what you create. And just let me encourage you to have a positive mental outlook. Michael, did that conversation happen before the nurse asked everybody what it meant? Yes. Okay, thank you. Continue. Yes. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, if I really thought this was the beginning to the end, like the person across the table from me, then bring on the fried chicken, bring on the double cheeseburgers, because it doesn't matter, right? right? It's like the future becomes this certainty and it's inevitable. It's fatalistic. In my case, I'm thinking I'm not in the realm of certainty and fatalism. I'm in the realm because of my doctor and because I took his story of possibility mm. and uncertainty, which is a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm kind of excited to see what's next because I don't think it happened by accident. And it also gave me the opportunity to really appreciate life and realize, man, every day is a gift. Mm. I'm actually, I'm in our bedroom here and I am wearing my new champagne colored robe. It's the most beautiful, thick, silk, comfy, like luxurious robe I've ever owned, I swear to you. And it's made by Blissy. You might remember that like a couple weeks ago, I told you about this spray that I found that I've been spraying on my pillows and the eye mask that I use and the silk pillow case, right? Like, so I'm trying to improve the quality of my hair and everyone's been raving about like, or saying, you you know, you really need to switch to a silk pillowcase. And I'm like, really? Does it really make that big of a difference? I'm telling you, I don't know what it is, but I feel like it's changed the health of my hair. I don't wake up in the morning with my hair like in a big knot. And so it's this blissy pillowcase. And then I've been spraying my pillowcase with this. It's like a eucalyptus spray. It's insane. It makes your bedroom smell like a spa. And so I just ordered one of their robes. There is no better time than right now to go and check out their website because they've got so many cool things. Like, And they've got tons of raving fans besides me. And they also have a risk-free 60-night guarantee that you can try, like whatever it is, a robe or a pillowcase, whatever. Okay, and get this. For a limited time, Blissey is giving my listeners an additional 30% off. That's a total of 55% off. What the what? Yes, plus free shipping. 55% off plus free shipping. Hello, go there. What do I recommend you get? I mean, this robe is next level. Champagne, the color champagne looks good on freaking everybody. If you're a blonde, it's a must have. If you're a brunette, you look gorgeous in it. Like everybody looks good in the color champagne. I don't know what it is. It's like, I think that color and lavender are two colors that everyone looks good in. So get yourself a champagne colored robe if you're going to get something for yourself. And then get your girlfriend, like they've got these little packages that you can get now where you can get like a headband and a sleep mask and a pillowcase, like a bunch of different options. Everything's amazing. Did I already mention the spray? Like the spray 
you will be addicted. You won't be able to sleep another night without spraying it on your pillow. Anyways, I'm super pumped. The link is in the show description or just go to blissy.com forward slash Shalene. Use code Shalene. That gets you 55% off. That's insane. Stock up. I can't help but see the power of suggestion in shaping our mindsets. And I, I know from listening to my audience about the ways that they struggle with self-doubt and I'm not enough symptoms and syndromes and in that kind of negative speak that we have the narrator who's saying like, oh, you shouldn't do that because so much of that is because someone who has influence on our lives kind of planted that seed. And like the way that your doctor suggested that you, this is a reset, like that can shift our mindset. So how does the people that were surrounding ourselves with and the people that we allow to, to, you know, speak to us and to influence us, how does that affect our mindset? And I guess a better question might be like, how can we protect our mindset by being aware of who's around us? Well, there's no question that people's thinking is very contagious. Our Mm -hmm. thinking is very contagious. And that's why we need to be very intentional about the people that we allow into our lives and the people that we allow to speak into our lives. And some people, unfortunately, are in situations where there's a lot of toxic people, a lot of negative thinking, and they've got to, by design and by intention, begin to shift that. Now, unfortunately, there's some people you can't get rid of so easily, right? Sometimes those Mm -hmm. people are in our family, but that means that we can still construct and absolutely must construct other communities that serve us and help us with our thinking. So Mm. I can remember one time, when I was going to speak actually in San Diego and I had just sat down on the plane and my phone rings and it's one of my best friends. And he said, Hey, what's up? I said, well, I'm sitting on a plane. I said, I have to go to San Diego to deliver a speech and like dead silence on the other end. And he says, wait a second. Did you just say you have to go to San Diego to give a speech? I said, yeah. He said, did somebody hold a gun to your head and force you to go to San Diego to give a speech? I said, no. And he said, it sounds to me because you've always wanted to be a public speaker and oh, by the way, San Diego, best climate on the planet, you get to go to yeah. San Diego. Well, that was a person that was correcting. And this, Shalene, this is so important. Our language shapes our thinking, and our thinking is expressed in our language. So the words that we choose are critically important. And the more conscious we could be of that, it's a form of self-programming actually self-hypnosis, because those little words are slipping into our subconscious and affecting the way that we respond and what we think is possible. And so we've got to be deliberate about the language that we choose and surround ourselves with people that use language that's empowering because it's going to shape our thinking. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It makes total sense. I, as I'm, I'm listening to this, I'm trying to catch myself because I'm thinking about other people who really need to put this to practice. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I can think of all the other, all the people in my life who really need to look at their own mindset. But that makes me realize like, well, it's probably a lot of areas where I need to do this too. So is there, like when you think about the most important areas of your life that your mindset could be holding you back, what do you think is like one of, if we had to just pick one area, like start with this because it's going to make the biggest impact in your happiness. What area would that be? That's a great question. I think probably I would start with my health or relationships. Mm. 
I think there's such cultural force around health and around relationships. There's sort of what I would call kind of the drift, the cultural drift of what people say is possible and impossible. Can you give me an example? Well, and this may be controversial. You may totally disagree with it, but some people struggle with their weight. Mm-hmm. And and maybe the story they've told themselves is, and again, you may, may want to delete this from the show, <laughs> but well, I'm just big boned, you know, or just genetically, I, I just can't lose weight. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I've seen too mm-hmm. many stories of transformation, but, I, but that's definitely a story. And if that story creates a kind of fixed certainty about the future, like you could never change, mm-hmm. you won't, mm-hmm. you won't even try. Can you give me an example with regard to relationships, our most important relationships? Yeah, you might think to yourself, my husband is so opposite of me. We think different. Everything about us is different. And so we we just can't have the kind of relationship that Shalene and Brett have. You know, we're just so mm-hmm. different. And mm-hmm. I remember early on in my relationship with Gail, we've been married 44 years, And congratulations. Thank you. And opposites attract. And so initially, the fact that we were so different, and we are radically different on every personality assessment, like on Strength Finders, number 33, which is the last strength in that 33 strength assessment, mine is flexibility or adaptability. Like that's my lowest. Oh. It's her second. Oh, wow. And that's just one example. She's very extroverted. I'm very introverted. So, Opposites attract. But the worst part about that is you go through a period, and we certainly went through this, where opposites annoy. <laughs> right? Like all those things that were different. True. Like, tick me off. Like, I'm really fast at making decisions. She's really slow. And it used to just irritate me. It's like, why can't you make a decision? Why do you keep procrastinating? But then opposites attract, opposites annoy. And then ultimately, opposites can appreciate one another. And so now I thank God that we're so different because just in decision-making, for example, left to my own devices, I tend to be impulsive. You know, I, I make decisions so fast that I make decisions yeah. I regret. She, on the other hand, left to herself, she's makes decisions slowly and thoroughly with a lot of research, but left to herself, she can procrastinate. Together, I keep her from procrastinating. She keeps me from being impulsive and we're better together. So that's changing the story. You know, I thank God that we're opposites, but that's a different story than we can never have a great relationship because we're so different. Yeah, that's helpful. And because as you talk about in the book, once you recognize you have these beliefs, then you're able to, you know, and and what the narrator is saying, if that's the first step, then as you talk about in the book, you're able to realize that you're then acting and behaving in a way, you're taking steps in a way to support that belief or that mindset, right? And and so if it's a negative one, whether we realize it or not, unconsciously, we're doing these things that support the belief, even when that belief doesn't serve us and we don't totally. realize it. So to examine our beliefs around our relationships seems like a really important thing. If I, I don't know, I'm, for me, that's what I would start with is like our relationships because whether it's work or health or any of those things, I just feel like, and maybe it's just me. I don't, maybe you'll disagree, but that kind of dictates 
my happiness and success and everything else. You know, yes. like, who cares if everything else is going great? If the people who I love the most, if that doesn't feel right, then nothing feels right. So to me, I, I feel like that's probably the most important area to start. And, you know, even in terms of relationships from a work standpoint, friendship standpoint, you know, family, your romantic partner, all of those things. You wrote this book with your daughter. How do you think that the two of you have, I mean, that you have different beliefs around this? How d- does it enhance the experience for the reader that we have two authors writing about one topic? Well, I think we have such, we're in different seasons of our life, for yeah. example. She's a CEO and a mother of five and is trying to balance all that and make it work. And she has three special needs children in that mix. And so she's mm-hmm. got a lot of demands on her she's life. She's a little bit busy. A little bit busy. <laughs> so she she has, and I'm an empty nester and you know I'm in a, just a completely different place in my life. And I think the two yeah. perspectives work great because if it only worked for me as an empty nester, then what hope can I offer to other people who are in a different season Agreed. of life? But she's in a completely different season. So she brings to it all of that. And she has her own stories too. So some people will yeah. resonate with my stories. Some people will resonate with her stories. And I think it just creates more access points. Well, I love that you provide those kinds of tools and, and the two perspectives I do think is very powerful. There are many times where I I think to myself, the advice that I'm giving someone who's in a different season of their life is probably looking at me and going, yeah, real easy for you to say, you know, you're not in the thick of it, whatever that is, starting a business or starting a family, all those things. So I do think that brings validity to the techniques and the tools and the strategies you guys share in the book. For those who hopefully are going to go out and grab this book, where's the best place for us to pick it up? Yeah, the best place to go is mindyourmindsetbook.com forward slash Shaleen. Very important to put that because we have over $500 worth of bonuses that are not available to the general public. Those have expired for the general public. These are the pre-order bonuses, which I'm assuming that by the time this airs, it'll be past that period. You'll get the audio book just from buying the book. No. Okay. Well, first of all, that's my love language right there. And and anyone who's listening to the podcast, obviously that you like to listen. So that's an awesome bonus. That's one reason, if if not anything else, that alone, plus the $500 worth of bonuses is worth going to that link, right? Because sometimes we just automatically go to Amazon, but like the hookup is when you go to a link like that and you can get the audible at the same time. That's right. And in addition to that, you'll get the course. So Megan and I created a course based on the same topic where we go deeper. So for people who really want to study this and really want to nail it and really want it it to be a major factor in their life going forward. And then we have something we call a self-coaching tool that enables Mm -hmm. you to kind of deconstruct your own thinking. We take you through the three-part framework that we outline in the book so that you have a guide or a track to run on as you try to do this for yourself. That's amazing. I love that. So While you're listening to the show, while the podcast continues to play, you can click on the link. It's below in our description of the show. No matter what app you're listening on, you should be able to see that there. And if for any reason you don't find it there, you can go to our website and see the blog post for this particular episode. Michael, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your perspective and much continued health and blessings to you and your reset. I'm so happy to see that you're here and doing well and just making the most out of life and sharing your gifts with my audience. 
Well, Charlene, thank you so much for having me on again. It's a pleasure. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, just do me a favor and double check and make sure that you're subscribed or following if you're actually someone who listens on the Apple podcast. And if you've got just like 30 seconds, it would really mean the world to me if you were able to leave a five-star review and tell me specifically what it is you liked about this episode. My show is released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I do also have a business podcast that comes out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I host that with my son, Brock. It's called Build Your Tribe. You should check it out. There's always a link in the show notes. I'm sure you know this, but on Fridays, my episodes are very casual. It's very personal. It's usually stuff with myself and my husband. If you love that kind of stuff, I want to invite you to check out my Patreon. It's all of the Shaleen Show episodes ad-free. In addition to that, for just $5 a month, you get extra episodes. And this is this is the stuff that's like kind of too personal to put on the Shaleen Show. It, it's all personal stuff. There's like no like personal development. It's just real, raw, what's going on in our lives, stuff we can't talk about on the show. However, if you are easily offended, Patreon is not for you. That's not the place to be, all right? You can learn more about it by going to patreon.com forward slash the Shaleen Show. Any of the links that I referenced in this episode will show up in the show notes, which are just below the episode. To learn more about the services that I offer and to take advantage of some of the free resources, I invite you to check out my website, which can be found at shaleen.com. 